welcome to Johnny Appleseed Day. Or if that doesn't take root in your mind, celebrate National Compliance Officer Day and think whether Mr. Appleseed's work would be acceptable with 21st century agricultural practices. If you fail to have interest, ponder whether apples could be used in a commemoration of National Dumpling Day. If that's all nonsense to you, perhaps this edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement is a way to mark Love Note Day. I'm Sean Tubbs, enamored as always of the details. On today's program, Charlottesville City Council makes several appointments to boards and commissions, but does not fill a vacancy on the Planning Commission. The city's new building permit system is operational. Charlottesville will work with Albemarle County on a grant application for a transportation study of the US-29 corridor. A subcommittee of the Board of Visitors at the University of Virginia weighs in on the design for the renovation of the Center for Politics, and the Charlottesville Planning Commission addresses anti-displacement solutions at a two-hour deliberation on September 19th. In today's first subscriber-supported shout-out, the changing of the seasons is underway, and that is perhaps the best time to get out into the woods to see what's changing and what's been productive in the sunny seasons. The Charlottesville area tree stewards will have two walks coming up this week, limited to 20 participants. In both, tree steward Phil Stokes will lead a walk through a well-preserved and highly diverse woodland to see naturally occurring spicebush, winterberry, and dogwood laden with red berries. In abundance will also be nuts from forest oaks, hickories, and walnuts, as well as orchid-grown Chinese chestnuts, walnuts, pecans, and American hazelnuts. One walk is to be held on Friday, September 29th from 10 a.m. to noon. The other is Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon. And coming up later this fall, there's a tree identification lesson on Zoom on October 17th to be followed up by a hike on October 21st. Thank you to the Charlottesville area tree stewards for being out there. One quick note, several of these segments would have made more sense if they'd been published a few days ago, but here they are. On September 18th, Charlottesville City Council made several appointments to boards and commissions, but did not select a person to sit on the planning commission. A seventh seat on that appointed body has been vacant since Liz Russell resigned in June. Other appointments were made. Ryan Johnson and Roy Van Dorn were reappointed to the Joint Airport Commission. This seven-member body exists to advise the Joint Authority Board, which consists of the city manager, the Albemarle County executive, and one appointee. That person is currently Donald Long, who sits on both bodies. Quentin Harrell was appointed to the Charlottesville Economic Development Authority, a seven-member body that was established to promote economic development in the community, expand the local tax base, and to encourage more job opportunities for our citizens. Shanice Bradford has been appointed to the board of directors to the Piedmont Family YMCA. Both Albemarle County and Charlottesville have appointed members to this body since committing capital funds to build their aquatics and fitness center in McIntyre Park in the late 2000s. Casey Erickson and Miller Murray Susan have been appointed to the Charlottesville Sister Cities Commission to positions that had been vacant. Deshad Cooper has been appointed to the Community Criminal Justice Board. Cooper was a candidate for city council in the June 20th primary after having also been a candidate in the Democratic nomination for House District 54. 
The closing date for the Planning Commission vacancy is October 31st. For the full list of vacancies, take a look at the city's website. Last week, Mayor Lloyd Snook encouraged people to consider applying for a position. You can go to the the city website for boards and commissions where it says join a board and commission and just see what what positions are vacant. If you see something there, they say, you know, I know something about that. I can contribute something there. We would love to have you. Snook did not mention the Planning Commission vacancy. Commissioners Hosea Mitchell and Rory Stolzenberg were reappointed to new four-year terms in June. Several people had applied during a previous window, but council opted not to make a selection. No one applied during this cycle, according to the city, but seven had applied for the previous deadline. Council also opted to not make a selection at that time. Both Albemarle and Charlottesville have recently invested in new software to help run the departments that process land use applications and permits. Charlottesville reached a milestone at the end of August, according to Deputy City Manager Stephen Hicks. As of August 30th, uh, Neighborhood Development Service is able to accept online payments for building permit applications through the new permitting software. <coughs> Looking ahead, the final phase of implementing the new permitting software, bringing all remaining permits into the system, will go live in November. We anticipate site plans as well in the near future. Earlier this year, Council approved a new fee structure for building permits to match the new system. They held first reading on that matter on April 3rd and second reading on April 17th. You can access the portal, the new portal, as a guest and review applications at a link in the newsletter. A status update on Albemarle's attempts to modernize will be coming up in a future edition of the newsletter and podcast. Last week, the Albemarle County Board of Supervisors approved a request from planning staff to submit an application for a federal grant intended to address places that have been affected by being cut off from each other due to transportation infrastructure. Albemarle is seeking $300,000 through the Reconnecting Communities and Neighborhoods program for a corridor study between Hydraulic Road and Hilton Heights Road. This is a resubmission after one sent in last year was unsuccessful. Here's a section from a county staff report. Staff learned in a debrief with federal staff that the application had scored very highly. Federal staff noted minor points of improvement for the application if the county chose to resubmit. This time around, Charlottesville staff will also participate. Here is Stephen Hicks, the deputy city manager. We are supporting this grant application and the study area north of 250 Bypass along either side of Route 29, including the Meadows neighborhood and Mitch Mitch Drive in the city. The grant application comes at a time when there are several funded projects in that area. These are a conversion of the Hydraulic and Hillsdale intersection into a roundabout, a pedestrian bridge across US-29 at Zan Road, and changes to Hydraulic Road's intersections with Brandywine Drive and Meeky Drive. A public hearing for this site was held in May of 2022. The University of Virginia Center for Politics is headquartered within a 4,700-square-foot house called Montesanto that's located between Old Ivy Road and Leonard Sandridge Drive in the area known as North Grounds. Here is Alice Rocher. She is the architect of the University of Virginia, speaking at the Board of Visitors meeting earlier this month. 
So while the Center of Politics has been very successful in developing and running its extensive roster of programs, the size and layout of the existing house hampers the center's daily operations and prevents them from fully engaging students and community, community and hosting larger, larger seminars and events. The existing site is accessed via Crestwood Drive, but the schematic design shows a new road connection to Leonard Sandridge Drive. The new design shows construction of a new 5,000-square-foot addition to the house that will include space for a library, a common area, and a seminar room, along with a new connecting building between the two, known as a hyphen. The project includes modest renovations to the main house, including converting the first floor conference room to a collaboration hub and combining small rooms on the second floor into open office space. The addition will also provide space for a mem memorabilia archive and a media studio and green room. Construction documents are expected to be ready in the spring, with the work to be complete in the summer of 2025. The Buildings and Grounds Committee voted on a resolution to expedite the work. One member of that committee mentioned that the Virginia Department of Transportation is currently conducting a pipeline study of potential road improvements in the Old Ivy Road and US 250 West Corridor. Here is L.F. Payne. One of the big issues there is going to be how the people between the two, many of whom are UVA employees, uh, get, get out of there. And I think the connection between Old Ivy Road and Leonard Sandridge Parkway is going to be really important. Rocher said Crestwood Drive is currently a private road, that there's an agreement in place for Montesanto only and not for through access. The university will one day redevelop the Ivy Gardens apartment complex to the east of the Center for Politics. I'll have a story in tomorrow's Seville Weekly with more information. listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement in today's second subscriber-supported shout-out. To sustain natural habitats, there has to be enough places for pollinators to live in order to do their job of fertilizing native plants. On Saturday, October 21st, the Piedmont Master Gardeners will hold a free Garden Basic presentation on native plant propagation, seed saving, and winter sowing. You can extend your budget and widen the selections available through seed saving and winter sowing. Join the Piedmont Master Gardeners to learn about seed collection and resources for buying native seed, various techniques for preparing native seeds for sowing, growing techniques for winter and spring, and for outdoors and indoors. You will also practice what you learn with a hands-on propagation activity, and you will go home with a milk jug planter and seeds. The event will be held at Trinity Episcopal Church at 1118 Preston Avenue from 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Space is limited, so register today. One big segment to go today. Try as I might, there is no way I can get to everything I want to write, especially when there are family obligations that eliminate hours in the day. Additional meetings on the calendar mean additional items to juggle for a one-person information operation turned temporary furniture hauler this past weekend. Shortly after publication of this newsletter today, the Charlottesville Planning Commission will begin their second set of deliberations on the city's new development code. They may or may not make a recommendation, as I wrote about in this past week's Week Ahead. On September 19th, the six remaining commissioners spent two hours giving staff and consultants direction on potential changes to the draft development code. 
Commission Chair Hosea Mitchell honed in on one specific item. We want them to give them a good general idea of where we're going to go with the anti-displacement zones, with the anti-displacement zones. That used to be called these sensitive zones. At the outset, Mitchell said the commission had to provide feedback on the process for the special exemption process for special forms as well. This particular story doesn't get into any of that, unfortunately. But first, Neighborhood Development Services Director James Fries got right to the point on topic number one. I think the first kind of threshold question when we think about the anti-displacement overlay district is whether or not to have one. For background, the city commissioned the firm RKG to conduct a study on the feasibility of some of the rules and requirements related to providing affordable housing units in the new development code. Fries said that members of the Housing Advisory Committee expressed concern at their review of the RKG report that the most attractive areas for development happened to be many of the neighborhoods designated in the future land use map as sensitive communities. All of these are depicted in the draft zoning as having the Residential A designation. That's three units per lot, or four if you keep the existing building. Part of the role of the medium intensity of the RB and the RC districts was to actually draw some of that new development away. That was part of the anti-displacement strategy, is to create opportunities for new development in uh, other parts of the city that haven't necessarily seen that type of development in the past. Fries said there are pros and cons to developing an anti-displacement overlay, but the main negative to him relates to decreasing potential for wealth building. Anything we do that reduces the, the, the potential for development in areas certainly reduces that potential for displacement, but also reduces that potential for um, additional value um, for those homes and those properties. He was also clear that zoning changes cannot stop a well-documented phenomenon. There's nothing we can do to stop the single unit, the single family flips that we know are occurring in those areas, that those are going to be part of what has happened and is leading today to the displacement those neighborhoods are experiencing and will continue to happen going forward. Fries said the city will continue to work on an anti-displacement policy by amending the affordable housing plan. He also said he wants to conduct a small area plan for the 10th and Page neighborhood. Such a plan has been adopted for the Cherry Avenue corridor that runs through Fifeville. Mitchell took a straw poll to ask his five colleagues if they supported an overlay district. Here's Commissioner Roy Stolzenberg. I don't believe that is necessary. Here's Commissioner Carl Schwartz. I'm more concerned about affecting the zoning of the periphery than affecting the zoning of the neighborhoods themselves. Here's Commissioner Philip Duranzio. A zoning overlay, is it necessary? Well, that depends on what else we do or don't do or recommend. Here's Commissioner Kareem Habab. I think if there's a way to cater them per neighborhood, then yes, we can do that. But as a general broad stroke across all neighborhoods, I don't think it's necessary at this time. Here is Commissioner Lyle Sola Yates. I could see it working if it is part of a citywide anti-displacement effort in all zones. Um, so that it is consistent and we can defend it in court. If it is not citywide, I would recommend that it be uh, separate and on a different timeline um, so that we can study it in more detail. Mitchell said he did not think an overlay is district, but the city must address the issue. Some sort of protections need to be in place in separate or on a different timeline seems sort of reasonable to me. Fries wanted more information from Sola Yates. Commissioner Sola Yates, do you have anything in mind when you think about citywide? 
because check your email. What's that? Check your email. Community members do not have easy access to someone else's email, but each of us can take steps to get it if it's public business. I've just submitted a request from the city's Freedom of Information Act request portal to get details that Soliates did not initially disclose at the meeting. We'll get back to that in just a minute. Duranzio is a member of the Housing Advisory Committee, which has made several recommendations. One of them is to place limitations on who can develop in the sensitive communities area, similar to rules for family subdivisions in rural counties. In order to move forward with development on a given lot, you have to have been on, you have to have been on title for two years. The idea behind that is that, I mean, and that would be effective from day one. So everyone who lives in these areas would would be able to develop immediately. But if they sold to a developer, that developer would have to sit. And the idea there would just be to put a break. Another recommendation from the hack would be to create an overlay district for a limited period of time that would allow three units on a residential A lot, but only if at least one of the extra units is guaranteed to be affordable. The third one involves another novel mechanism. Can we just keep this away from zoning at all, and presumably we're spending implementation money anyway, to offer cash options for the development rights from the city or some other, some other entity? These recommendations were not available in the materials for the packet for discussion or review by community members. I've asked for a copy of them, and I will post them when I get them. Commissioner Rory Stolzenberg said he felt there was little the city could do given the extent of free market activity. The status quo is a rapid uh, change in these neighborhoods as a result of single-family home flips. Um, And it seems to me that nothing about the overlay we're discussing is going to limit those in any way. Um, At at worst, it could even, you know, exacerbate uh, the problem where we may have at least had some of those flips add smaller and more attainable units, um, and instead they will become, you know, even pricier, higher-end flips. Stolzenberg suggested the city could put a cap on development per year, like a similar ordinance in Arlington County aims to do. That new zoning code is the subject of a lawsuit. There's a link to an article in ARL Now that you can go take a look at if you'd like more. Soli Yates then did read from the email that he sent in Fries two hours before the meeting. Anti-displacement effort making the first single-family home on a parcel require a special use permit so that council can consider its effects on displacement. This would also apply to deduplexification efforts where two or more homes are combined into one. Does not apply to infill with an existing home or homes preserved on site can be ministerially approved by staff with affordability component to address displacement concern. Recommend this either be citywide or a secondary process that is legally separate from the rest of the zoning process so that it could be legally challenged and delayed on a separate timeline. Schwartz asked Soliates if he sent the email to everyone. Well, did you send this to everyone? No, I was told not to. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see if FOIA turns it up as well. Charlottesville has both a city attorney in Jacob Stroman, as well as a consulting attorney hired for land use issues after former city attorney Lisa Robertson left the position abruptly at the end of 2022. Missy Creasy, the city's deputy director of neighborhood development services, said Sharon Pandak wrote to say that a special use permit cannot be required for by-right development. 
part of the discussion reviewed a basic element of the real estate market. Developers will try to get the lowest price possible, and there are many ways to do so. No builder is, gonna, is interested in paying the fair market value for a lot if they can possibly get away with paying less. I would argue that people selling their house for less than it's worth is at the very core of this problem, right? You have people who are right, selling exactly. for $200,000 and these houses are getting $10,000 of work and putting them and they're selling for five hundred fifty. Um, you know, that's not a problem that can be solved with Sony. Stolzenberg suggested working with the Charlottesville Area Association of Realtors to educate potential sellers on getting a fair price. The conversation continued, and there was a lot in here, but the next set of deliberations begins in under two hours as I write this, so I will end this summary and hope to get to the next one a little bit faster. But that's the end of this particular edition, and it's about four days later than I would have liked. But I had a mid-Atlantic errand to run in a transit van. You can stay up to date with the production schedule by taking a periodic look at my page on Substack Notes. As 2024 nears, it is definitely time to begin work to train people to assist me in this work and paying them. I've got some ideas on how to do this because the volume of potential stories is only going to increase. I am grateful to the more than 550 paid subscribers who have kept me afloat as I try to soak in as much information as I can to produce these newsletters and podcasts. If you are one of that number, thank you. If you're not, also thank you. The main goal is to get the information out to as many people as possible, and if you're consuming this, that's really good. Now, we're running out of time, so remember, Substack will match your initial payment. Say goodbye to the end of 581. 